It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo, and we are through the deadlines, double deadline, with the trade deadline on Friday, the draft signing deadline on Sunday. It was a busy weekend for us. We'll discuss both of those deadlines what happened there when all the dust settled. And we will also take a look at the PDP League and which players there, 2022 high school draft prospects, performed well. And we'll wrap up, as we always do, with a question from the mailbag. Let's start with the trade deadline. Jim, Jonathan, after getting through uh, the draft and futures game on the same day, I don't think anything will ever seem... Uh, quite so daunting, but it was a very, very busy Friday. Well, not just Friday. I mean, I had uh, not to, I'm not asking for anybody's pity, but on Wednesday, I do both our Rangers and Yankees list. And the initial reports were that the Rangers were sending six prospects to the Yankees, which I think would have set some kind of record for most updated blurbs and new blurbs required of one MLB pipeline MVP. Uh, employee, I was going to call myself MVP, an employee <laughs> kind of in, a, there. In, in a single transaction. So it wound up only being four. And, and then Thursday we had, I, I do our Dodgers list. So I had to replace three guys um, and Donovan Casey might've made the midseason list. Uh, so like it wasn't, it wasn't just Friday. It felt like the hits were coming all week with the trade deadline going, at least going back to Wednesday. You know, Jim gets excited when his voice goes up a couple of octaves. And Six. he names himself MVP. Yeah, and well, I meant employee. Him, I just name, MVP slipped out. Name, just just slipped out. Freudian slip there. Um, but sure, uh, you you definitely earned it. Uh, the trade deadline. Uh, you know, obviously we were all busy, but Jim Jim definitely wore it for for a, a lot of it. And you know, we're, the systems that are a little more thin when then you have to uh, uh, add prospects or find prospects. It it, it gets very very challenging. Uh, so it was a lot. Yeah, I, I guess if we always set the futures game draft combo platter as as the the benchmark that we will never ever we'll never going to clear that bar then everything else seems easy i I have to say as as nuts as it was uh it was kind of fun i you know i thought you know it's always insane trying to keep up with everything but uh you know i thought we we rose to the occasion and uh i i would rather hand out like a team mvp award um i'm not as you know sort of uh, self-centered as Jim is, but, uh, but I, you know, I, I just thought that, uh, it, it was, it was, it was, it was a fun time and, uh, to, to really track all those prospects. So many, so many, uh, that, uh, the last couple of days, it was just felt like every time we were about to catch our breath, another trade was being announced. Even, even after the deadline passed, as you know, the news was catching up to the real events, uh, there, there were some, some things we had to to deal with in terms of our, our top 30 lists. Yeah. I mean, it, it, I think it was definitely easier than the, than the futures game draft crush. Although as you guys know, I, I think the highlight for me or the most elated I was during the whole tread deadline procedures was, um, you know, I do our White Sox list. And I don't think there's any question right now that the White Sox, after all their graduations, and it's been a lot of them to big leagues, the White Sox have the thinnest farm system in baseball. And on, I guess it was Friday, right? Friday, when Craig Kimbrell got traded to the White Sox, I was just like, oh, no. Like, I've, I've emptied every White Sox prospect I know to add to this list because we can't add draft guys yet because we haven't done the official midseason update. And, and I was elated when I found out that it was that trade was for Nick Madrigal and, and Cody Hoyer, and it was not going to take two or three prospects off the already thin White Sox top 30. So that was the, that, that was the high point of the, uh, of the trade deadline for me personally. That's a, that's a peek behind the curtain kind of thing where we all breathe a sigh of relief when it's only big leaguers involved. 
which is I, rare I, with a deadline deal. Well, exactly. I mean, well, exactly. Yeah. And like when I saw Kimball, you guys saw me on Slack. I, I was texting scouts. I knew who cover the White Sox. Like, who else can I add here? And um, I, I, I'm, I'm. If I had a vote, I, I don't. But if I did, Rick Hahn is my executive of the year just for trading big league <laughs> talent for Craig Kimball. Because when that trade happened, I was like, oh, that's got to be at least two, maybe three prospects off the White Sox top 30 and, and it was zero. So that was, that, that saved me. I, I'd still be looking for White Sox prospects right. perhaps if, if, if there had been three, you know, minor leaguers included in that deal. I, I did the same thing earlier in the week when the Marlins sent Starling Marte to the, uh, to the A's and, you know, you, you get the alert that Starling Marte is going and, you know, the A's are not exactly super deep. I did have some extra guys ready, but I, I was worried. And then it was for Jesus Lazardo. So I was like, okay, you know, you have that second of going, all right, we don't have to do anything on our end for those. Well, Jim has now named Rick Hahn the executive of the year and himself the pipeline MVP. Yep. Maybe so, I was American yeah. League MVP. You don't know. So, so yeah, it was, a, it was a busy day. It was a busy week, uh, particularly the few days leading up to the deadline. We, we tracked over the past several years the number of top 30 prospects, uh, players who are on their team's top 30 list who have been traded in uh, deals leading up to the deadline as well as top 100 prospects. And while the numbers were pretty uh, pretty much average, uh, they were a bit higher, but it, it just seemed like there was that flurry at the end. But there were 41 prospects who were either on uh, top 30 prospects list at the time of the trade or ended up on a top 30 prospects list involved in deals and four top 100 prospects. Last year, uh, it, it, actually on last week's podcast, we talked about the fact that the number of top 100 prospects traded has diminished over the past several years. Um, nine, eight, seven, down to two, then back up to five, and then last year just one, and we had four this year. Uh, we had 41 top 30 prospects traded overall, which is up from we've had 27, 39, 32. We had 41 back in 2018. So that number was up there as well. But uh, we ranked all 41 prospects who were traded. Now, the top of that list is dictated by the top 100 prospects order. So uh, number one on the list is Austin Martin, who went to the Twins from the Blue Jays in the Jose Barrios trade. He is number 16 overall on the top 100 prospects list. He's followed by Kiber Ruiz, who's number 41 overall, went to the Nationals from the Dodgers in the Big Scherzer Trey Turner deal. Number three, Josiah Gray, number 42 overall on the top 100 prospects list, also went to the Nats in that Dodgers deal. And the fourth top 100 prospect who was traded was Simeon Woods Richardson, also in the Barrios deal, going to the Twins from the Blue Jays. Now, non-top 100 prospects rounding out the top 10 ranking. Pete Crow Armstrong went to the Cubs uh, from the Mets in the Javi Baez trade. Joe Ryan went to the Twins in a separate deal, uh, not the Barrios deal, acquired from the Rays in the Nelson Cruz trade a little earlier in the week. Number seven, Tuzapita Marcano uh, went to the Pirates in the Adam Frazier deal. And uh, number eight and number nine, were involved in the Joey Gallo trade uh, with Josh Smith and Ezekiel Duran going to the Rangers from the Yankees. And then number 10, Alexander Canario to the Cubs in the Giants trade, uh, acquiring Chris Bryant. So those are the top 10 prospects that were traded. Um, guys, before we talk about the teams that did best, um, I think we we hit on several, just hit on several of them right there in, in mentioning the top prospects that were traded. Um, but your your thoughts on the two big trades there with Barrios and the Scherzer Trey Turner deals. Uh, let's let's start with uh, the Twins Blue Jays trade uh, for Jose Barrios. Yeah, I think that uh, you know. This wasn't a two month rental. He's got there's another year there, so that that adds some some value. Um, and I don't know about you, Jim, but I still have this tendency, even though it's happened more and more, that when a first rounder gets traded from just the previous year's draft, um, that always makes me kind of 
give like a wow, you know, and I, like, I remember doing that twice when, this year. Yeah, right. I mean, it happened twice. And Austin Martin was a, you know, the number five overall pick and just had played in the futures game. And, uh, you know, so just seeing his name included in a trade was a, a bit of a, of a wow, just uh, because uh, because of all those things. And um, I, I think that the Twins did quite well, you know, even if opinions on, on uh, Simeon Woods Richardson vary a little bit and want to see if he's still on the top 100 when we add all the all the draftees based on the year that he's had he's in in tokyo uh playing you know in the on the olympic team but to get two top 100 guys i think for jose barrios was 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 a good job you know by them and you know the blue jays knew they needed to to pay to have barrios and they'll have him you know for next year as well uh so uh, you know it it made sense but it was really i think more more than anything the the inclusion of of austin martin who you know uh, was just you know just playing for the first time this year and, and more than holding his own in double a uh that's the thing that stood out to me yeah i understand why they made the trade if we had to just pronounce and it won't be resolved today but if we had to pronounce who we think did better in this trade today i would go with the blue jays i i think it's hard to find pitchers of brios's caliber and you have them under control for another year Perhaps you can re-sign him long-term. Um, I think he was far and away the best pitch. I mean, the Twins are having a bad year after having a couple of good years. I, I tend to think they've had some bad luck more than the, the, the franchise is broken, but he was far and away their best starting pitcher. And I like the two guys they got. They got two top 100 guys, but I also think there's a little bit of a question with both top 100 guys. Agreed. You know, we, we talked about this with Austin Martin last year, kind of ad nauseum with the draft about his throwing it's a concern i don't think there's any way he's played some shortstop that he plays on the left side of the infield in the big leagues i mean he made 10 errors in 27 games at shortstop when toronto tried to play him there and they moved him to center field i think there's a good chance he's a center fielder which i mean i i think he's a very gifted hitter but he's also not hitting for any power at all this year right. he's got two homers in 55 games so i like austin martin a lot but I do think there are some concerns as to, you know, what are you getting besides a very good bat? You know, and we'll have to see. And with Simeon Woods Richardson, you know, his velocity has been down a little bit. He's had a rough year. I, I still like him. You know, as you noted, he might not be a top 100 guy. I, I don't I, – I guess if I had to pronounce a winner, I would say, you know, right now, like, who's going to win this trade? I, I'm going to say Toronto because I think Toronto got one of the – the better starting pitchers in baseball, one of the best, you know, best one who's, who was available on the market and you control him for next year. And I don't think they gave, they gave up two top 100 guys, but I don't think they gave up a sure thing, if that makes sense. No, I think it does make sense. And, you know, to add to that, Barrios, you know, it, it comparatively is not, he's pretty affordable. You know, like, you know, it, you know, there, there's arbitration to, to deal with and things like that, but I think he's making just a touch over 6 million this year. That's, you know, in today's market, like that's, that's pretty good, you know? So, and let's say if the, if the Blue Jays for some reason um, aren't competitive next year, then Barrios becomes a, a, a guy that you trade as a rental, you know, and, and turn him back around for, for more prospects. So yeah, I, I think, right. We're going to get to sort of looking at the teams in a little more detail, but uh, in some ways, I think the Twins did. Now, now that you sort of framed it that way, they they probably did better in what they got for Nelson Cruz than they did for uh, for Jose Barrios in some ways. Yeah, the, that one made more sense to me. And, yeah. and Joe Ryan's a fascinating prospect. I mean, he's a guy who I don't know how many starting pitchers rely on their fastballs more heavily than Joe Ryan, Jonathan. But guy, guys don't hit that fastball. They haven't hit the fastball yet. Right. Yeah, I think what you were, you know, saying about the wow factor when the number five overall pick from the previous draft is included and the number 16 prospect in all of baseball makes people sit up and, and take notice immediately. And I, I know there was a lot of wow and whoa across our various Slack conversations when that trade was being reported. And, you know, for good reason, you look back and it's not often that a, a prospect ranked that highly is involved in a trade. Looking back, um, if you go back over the past several years, you got to go back to 2017 when Aloy Jimenez was 
uh, dealt from the Cubs to the White Sox in the Jose Quintana trade. Um, going back from there, looking for other guys ranked as highly as Austin Martin, Lucas Giolito in 2016, another uh, big you know, deal involving the White Sox, uh, the Adam Eaton deal. Uh, he and Ronaldo Lopez, uh, who was also a top 40 prospect at the time. Um, and then you get back to Dansby Swanson in 2015, who was the number eight overall prospect. And uh, he, of course, uh, you know, there were, there were some similarities, I thought, in this deal. Uh, I, I couldn't help but think of, of that deal when, uh, when Austin Martin, another former Vanderbilt shortstop, highly uh, ranked and uh, top of the draft, was dealt for a, a pitcher. Um, couldn't help but see the similarities there. And then you go back a little further, 2012, Trevor Bauer uh, was number nine overall. Um, when he was involved in a trade for Lars Anderson and Tony Sip between the D-backs and Indians. Well, I mean, if you're the if you're the Twins, you feel good here in those trades because the the premier prospect and all those trades worked out for the team that acquired him. So um, that's you know, maybe, maybe I think you feel pretty good if you're the if you're the Twins listening to that. Okay, so we we talked a bit about that trade and the other big trade that uh, accounted for. Uh, the next two players on our ranking of the top prospects who were traded at the deadline, uh, the huge Nats-Dodgers trade with Max Scherzer and Trey Turner going to the Dodgers and Kiber Ruiz and Josiah Gray to the Nationals. And, Jim, I know you have some thoughts on this deal. Yeah, no, I mean, I again, I understand what they were trying to do. And there was also some ones up – one I – I can't speak today, apparently. One upsmanship going on because it sounded – Thursday afternoon, there were reports, okay, Max Scherzer's about to become a Padre. And not only did he not become a Padre, he went to the arch-rival Dodgers who also, oh, hey, we got Trey Turner in the deal too. So, I mean, you were going to have to pay a premium. Uh, you know, I understand what the Dodgers are doing here. Uh, you know, I, I like both those guys as prospects. Um, I, you know, I think they're both big league ready. They were somewhat blocked in Los Angeles with Will Smith behind the plate. And, and, and Gray had just come up to the Dodgers, but they seem to have an endless supply of pitching prospects. Um, so I can understand what Los Angeles was trying to do. Uh, you know, you got Max Scherzer. You got, you know, it's weird. I, to me, it should be called the Turner-Scherzer trade. I think Trey Turner somehow, I think he's one of the top five players in baseball, and yet he's somehow underrated. Um, and he's under control you know, past this year too. Uh, I, I don't, I don't quite get this trade from the national standpoint. I get trading Scherzer whose contract's about to be up. I get that the nationals farm system was one of the worst in baseball and now it looks a lot better. They made a bunch of trades, but you've let Anthony Rendon walk. You've let Bryce Harper walk. You have, you know, now traded away Trey Turner before he can walk these guys aren't the Tampa Bay Rays. You know, the Nationals have money. Their owner has a bunch of money. They've won a World Series recently. They've had success. Why aren't you building around Trey Turner, who's one of the top five players, in, in my mind, in baseball? I mean, he's a shortstop who hits for average, hits for power. Um, you know, now the, the Dodgers add him. They already had Mookie Betts and, and you know a very talented team that, that came off a World Series win last year. I, I question that one a little bit because – you know, I, I don't buy this logic. Oh, we had to let this guy walk so we could pay that guy. Well, well who are you going to pay? Like you have Juan Soto for a couple more years, but Juan Soto, if I'm not mistaken, is is represented by Scott Boris. His guys typically don't, uh, you know, sign extensions before they're free agents. And Juan Soto, if I if I'm doing my math correctly, I think will become a free agent at age 26. And he's basically putting up the best numbers of any young hitter since Ted Williams. Juan Soto's going to cost four hundred million dollars. He's hitting the market, so I don't. I, I I like the prospects they got in the trades they made. In the Dodgers trade, they got some really good. Pro I like Gerardo Carrillo. I like Donovan Casey too. I think they got you know some some good complimentary prospects in that deal too. But I look at the Nationals going forward. Who are you building your team around? You, you've you've got Juan Soto. You've got, you know, K. Bear Ruiz, okay, you know, has all-star potential but hasn't done it yet. Victor Robles, who used to be, you know, a, a top-of-the-top 100-type prospect, is hitting 198 and slugging 283. So I look at a lineup that's got a, a ton of holes in it. And your pitching rotation, 
you know, Patrick Corbin, you know, has got a five, seven, eight ERA, you know, maybe Josiah Gray, who I like, you know, pitches toward the front of the rotation, but I just see a team that's got a ton of holes and there's no way the farm system is going to fill all these. I, I don't know what the nationals are necessarily doing going forward. Or if you're trying to plot out what the team's going to look like in two or three years. Yeah, I, I see all that. Um, you know, it, it is interesting because it, clearly it was the addition of Turner that brought back the, the, the high-end prospects. I think if it's just two months of Max Scherzer, you don't get both Ruiz and Gray. You know, maybe you get one of them. Um, you know, the Dodgers certainly could afford that. You know, and, and I think your point is valid with, with Turner – in terms of what the Nationals could or couldn't do, but you know there probably weren't that many teams that would would want to take on Turner. Uh, you know he's he's making thirteen million this year. After arbitration next year, it's not going to be a necessarily a, a super friendly contract. I mean, granted for what he he is, and I agree with you. He, in some ways, he is an, he is underrated. He's having a, a great year, and he's still young and plays a premium position, but. Um, I don't think there are that there wouldn't there wouldn't have been that many matches in terms of trade partners for for this combination of players just because wait till of the, the off the season that, that, you know like if then wait till the I mean he's going to be a lot cheaper option than Carlos Correa or Trevor Story he makes it, a lot it, less than it is it is before. interesting because yeah. yeah I mean it's this this year is shaping up to be like a huge year for free agent shortstops and then Turner hits the market the year after. Um, I guess we can wait and see, you know, like if Scherzer and Turner end up back in Nationals uniforms afterwards, then then it makes more sense from from that vantage point. But uh, I felt, you know, that, the, the, you know, the decision must have been made that if they really want to try to to, to rebuild, they needed to, to sweeten the deal. And and maybe internally they they see because, you know, their their big league roster is, you know, was getting older, um, you know, outside of Juan Soto that it might take more than a year uh, or they felt we can trade Trey Turner because we're going to go after one of these free agent shortstops and, and, and still add these prospects. So you're going to pay more money. Yeah. I mean, I get what you're saying. I mean, I, I, and that is obviously what they did. I will bet. Well, what is our, I can't even remember. It's been, is our standard bet 20,000 or 25,000? I believe it's twenty five thousand. Okay. I will, I will, I will put on the $25,000 bet board. I bet there's no way the Dodgers let Trey Turner get to the free agent market. I bet they're going to sign Trey Turner to an extension and he'll never become a free agent. I I will not take that bet. Okay. So having said all of that uh, about the Nationals and their direction and and how this affects their their team over the next couple of years, when we're looking at the teams that did the best in terms of prospects that they brought in at this deadline, I think we have to have – the Nationals right up there. Uh, two of the four top 100 prospects uh, that were brought in at the deadline went to the Nationals. And you guys mentioned uh, Carrillo and also uh, Donovan Casey in that deal. They also, um, let's see, they, they also got Aldo Ramirez from Boston, who in our ranking of all the prospects who were traded, all 41 of them is number 14. Riley Adams, uh, who came over from Toronto, number 15. Mason Thompson, who came over from the Padres, number 20. Uh, Jordy Barley, also from the Padres, number 29. Drew Millis and Richard Gauch, both from Oakland to Washington, number 35 and number 38. Now, those are the rankings of all the prospects who were traded. So that's all sort of relative. But when you look at it relative to the Nationals farm system, every one of those guys uh, enters the Nationals' top 30 prospects list. Yeah, 10 of them. I mean, they, they, they turned over a third of their list. Now, some of that speaks to the, the, you know, the strength or lack thereof of the top 30. Um, you know, a couple of those guys uh, you know, were not top 30 guys b- before they were traded. Now, they may have been, you know, they may have been added. Richard Gauch was on my radar. I do, you know, uh, I, I work with Martin Gallegos, our, our A's writer on the on the A's list, and he was kind of on on the on the next up. And Jim mentioned Donovan Casey as a guy who may have made the the Dodgers midseason list. But yeah, I mean, they have to be even if 
the the way they they went about it, you know, with with the sort of critique that Jim pointed out, notwithstanding, they still need to be at the top of this list. Just, you know, they they added ten players to their top thirty list, um, so it, it did address a need. And you know, uh, Mike Rizzo has shown the ability to kind of flip this switch quickly in the past. We'll see, you know, what transpires, uh, you know, going into next year and and, and beyond. Uh, but, uh, you know, they decided like, all right, we're not competing. And so they were all in on the on the selling of, of big league parts and were able to bring in uh, not just the top, you know, the two top 100 guys in Ruiz and Gray, who who are both big league ready, uh, which I think adds to, to the appeal. But eight other members of their top of, of their top 30 now. Um, so, you know, that uh, for me, they they belong at the top of that list. And another team that brought in 10 prospects in deadline deals, uh, not all 10 of them went on their top 30 list, but the Cubs, uh, Jim, one of your teams, six of the 10 players that they did bring in in deadline deals uh, go on to their top 30 prospects list and uh, all in the top half of that list. Yeah, you know, and, and for their first trade they made a couple weeks ago, Bryce Ball was briefly on their list. He got knocked off by trades. Bailey Horn, before the Friday onslaught, was acquired Thursday from the White Sox. He actually was on the list, um, and he got bumped off by trades. And I, I struggled with Anderson Espinosa. So it was really at what point? At one point, eight of the ten guys. Um, we're on the top 30 and a ninth was considered. And, and you know, it's funny. I mean, I'm here in, in, in Chicago uh, and there's a lot of people upset with the Cubs. Hey, they only won one world series and they haven't won a playoff game since 2017. And, and now they're tearing it all down. But I actually, uh, uh, I actually think they did a good job considering most of the guys they were dealing were rentals. You know, Kimbrell was not, and, and Kimbrell didn't have anybody on the top 41 list um, because he got traded, as we mentioned, for two big leaguers. But I, I thought the Cubs did a nice job considering that you weren't going to keep these guys. You know, you, you start, Jonathan, you talked about Austin Martin getting traded uh, after being a first-round pick in last year's draft. And the, the Cubs got Pete Crow Armstrong, who was the number 19 pick last year in, in the Javi Baez trade. And, you know, he is a guy who can really hit. He might have been the best outfield defender in last year's draft. He's a plus runner. I mean, he, he actually could have a very similar profile to Austin Martin if Austin Martin winds up in, in, in center field. Um, you know, Austin Martin proved a lot more by, by playing it at the, in the SEC and at Vanderbilt and Pete Crow Armstrong signed out of high school. And, you know, so that was an interesting pickup. You know, they've had a lot of trouble developing pitching. A lot of their best, better pitching prospects are hurt this year. I, I've made the comment, I think Caleb Killian, who they got in – the trade, the Chris Bryant trade with the Giants, even though he wasn't a guy who was really well known, might be their best healthy starting pitching prospect in the Cubs system right now. And they they got another player in that deal, Alexander Canario, who's got big right-handed power and fits the right field profile for for Anthony Rizzo from the Yankees. And, and, and Rizzo, honestly, has been a slightly above league average hitter as a first baseman and is a rental. They got Alexander Vizcaino, who can hit 100 miles an hour and has a nasty splitter. He has a chance to start. He might be a reliever. They got also in the same trade, Kevin Alcantara, who's a tooled up outfielder who's just getting his career going. And, you know, Greg Dykeman, who was in the Andrew Chafin trade, you know, Andrew Chafin's not a blockbuster guy, but Dykeman's a guy who's hit for power in the past. He's hitting for average. He's in AAA this year. He could come up. Um, you know, Bailey Horn, I, I think, might be a reliever in the long run, but he's interesting. I mean, Anderson Espinosa, I don't quite know what to do with him because he hadn't pitched in four seasons before this one because he had two Tommy John surgeries. But, you know, for Jake Marisnik, who's not exactly, you know, <laughs> an all-star guy, you know, he's like a role player. They got Anderson Espinosa from the Padres, who was you know, one of the best pitching prospects in baseball a few years ago. All right, so that's a look at the – Cubs Hall, we talked about the Nats Hall, a few of the other teams that are among those who we considered winners at the deadline in terms of the prospects that they brought in. We talked about the Twins and the fact that they brought in a couple of top 100 prospects in the uh, Barrio Steel, also Joe Ryan, Drew Strotman, Evan Sisk. Uh, <clears throat> the Pirates brought in a bevy of prospects, only two of whom go on their top 30 list in Tucepito Marcano and Carter Benz, uh, but they brought in eight different prospects at the deadline. The Rangers 
Uh, got four new additions to their top 30 prospects list, all via the Joey Gallo trade and Josh Smith, Ezekiel Duran, Trevor Hauer, and Glenn Otto. Uh, also added Kevin Gowdy and Josh Gesner from the Phillies. And uh, then speaking of the Phillies, even though they were not uh, in the same boat in terms of just bringing in uh, a load of prospects, they did um, in adding uh you know they were they were more buyers, but they also got Hans Kraus, who jumps into their top thirty prospects list at number four. By the time you're listening to this podcast, we should have a story up on our uh, the teams that came away with the best prospect hauls at the deadline. You are listening to the MLB Pipeline podcast. We are going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to shift from the trade deadline to the signing deadline. We'll talk about what happened at the draft signing deadline on Sunday right after this. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data from Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware. Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Jim Callis, Jonathan Mayo, and I'm Jason Ratliff. We are going to talk a little bit about the draft signing deadline, which was Sunday. Uh, the draft signing deadline, we've said many times over the past few years, it's not what it used to be in terms of a bunch of signings coming down to the wire and finding out what happened even after the deadline. Um, these days, it's not really like that anymore. Going into the final day, there were just a handful of draftees who had not signed. And when the dust did settle, there were three players from uh, the top 10 rounds who did not sign. And of course, uh, the one that got the most attention was the Mets first round pick, Kumar Rocker, right-hander out of Vanderbilt. Uh, there's been a lot of discussion. There was even some discussion leading up to the deadline about what was going on with him. Uh, the other two players who did not sign from the top 10 rounds, Red Sox second round pick Judd Fabian and uh, Astros fourth rounder Alex Ulloa. Um, but guys, the, the big story obviously there is Kumar Rocker. Um, what happened? Well, I don't know if we, well, I mean, the, 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 the short version is when he, you know, the, the sides agreed to a $6 million deal, which would have been about. 33% over slot at the 10th overall pick. And when he did his post-draft physical, the Mets didn't like what they saw and essentially offered him nothing to sign in the end. And he was not going to sign for nothing, and it fell apart. The, the, the thing we don't know is exactly what the medical shows. I've heard elbow, I've heard shoulder, I've heard all kinds of rumors, and I'm not going to deal with rumors about a player's health you know, specifics. But obviously... The Mets were concerned enough that they thought they were better off taking the number 11 overall pick in next year's draft than signing what they thought was a health-compromised Kumar Rocker, even though Kumar Rocker's advisor, Scott Boris, issued a statement that, and again, I mean, you're advocating for your guy, that they've had him examined by orthopedists and he has a clean bill of health in their mind. So, so Jim, uh, yeah. quickly, real, real quick before you go on, why don't you explain why it was that they didn't know this until the post-draft physical and why they were able to not offer him, not make any offer at all. There's a rule that so there MLB determines who the top 50 pitching prospects are in a given draft. And they have an MRI program that is considered voluntary, that 
they have an MRI program that, that they want these 50 pitchers to submit to. Now, they don't have to submit to it, but there are repercussions if you don't. So typically, if you're a pitcher who's not subject to this program or your position player, if you fail a club physical after being drafted, the team has to offer you 40% of the slot value of your pick to get the pick back the next year's compensation. And you can get the pick back in the top three rounds. So if you're part of the MRI program and you participate and, and, and it, it covers your elbow, your shoulder, and if there's anything else that's in question, like let's say you had a knee injury, but it's generally elbow and shoulder. If you participate in the MRI program and you fail the physical after the draft, then the club must offer you 60% of the slot value to get the pick back. So in this case, if, if Kumar Rocker had participated in the program, they would have had to offer him 2.7 million. If you decline to participate in the MRI program and you fail physical based on your shoulder, elbow, or, or another part that there was in question that would have been covered, the team doesn't have to offer you anything, which is what happened with the Mets. And if you, if you choose, whether or not you choose, let's say you had a foot injury that wouldn't have been subject to MRI program, then it's back to the 40%. And, and so Kumar Rocker did not participate in the MRI program. And I know that there's been like, oh, like, well, he, he reaps what he sows. Well, a lot of guys don't participate. I can't tell you the exact number of the 50 pitchers who participated in it. I do know, I think Scott Boris had six advisees who were pitchers considered top 50 pitchers and three of them participated. There are agencies who as a matter of course, won't have their guys participate at all, but because Kumar didn't participate in the MRI program, they were able to give them, they, the Mets were not required to offer him anything in order to get the number 11 pick back next year. And, and I will say one more thing, and then I'll, I'll stop my, my diatribe. I will re-diatribe and then stop. The, 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 the part of the system that just does not work, and I'm not saying anything fishy went on here, but the sole determiner of who you whether or not you pass the post-draft physical is the team doctor. There's no independent doctor. There's no panel of three doctors picked by different people. And I won't get into specific instances, but there have been cases in the past where the teams have abused that rule and failed guys on physicals for the purposes of renegotiating lower contracts. It's happened. There, there's one team in particular, the GM's changed teams. He's with a different team now that did this all the time. And, and, and people hated having pitchers drafted by his teams because you knew their guys were going to fail the physical. So it's, it's a, this rule is a terrible, terrible rule. And now I'm done with my diatribe. You sure? I am. Yes. Okay. I, don't, I think don't open that are, window, Jonathan. Yeah, there are. <laughs> you opened it first, Jason. Um, I, you know, I think there there are a lot of things you know that are that are imperfect about this imperfect system. Uh, you know, uh, that that's part of it. Uh, you know, not having any idea of of you know medical information before drafting a player. You know, is also problematic. Um, and, and it, uh, it makes, it makes it difficult and then sets it up for there to be a problem. I think, and listen, so much of this is, is, is conjecture because we don't really know exactly what, what the Mets think they saw, what they, what they did see, you know, but, you know, an impasse was created, uh, because you had one side saying, uh, that, he is, you know, arm is so damaged that we, we don't really even want to, to offer him anything. Uh, and the other side saying he's perfectly fine. Now, we don't know like what happened 100 percent behind the scenes, if there were any discussions. Um, but, you know, when, when, that's a that's an, an impasse that's insurmountable, uh, which is why I think we ended up where we ended up. And the, the sort of flip side of this that I, I wanted to bring up, that is the, the most surprising thing. And, you know, I, I don't have a problem with, you know, the Mets taking Kumar Rocker. We, Jim and I have pounded the table time and time again, like you take the best guy on the board. And at that point in the draft, there was no question that Kumar Rocker was the best guy on the board. And, you know, sometimes things don't don't work out. And uh, the reasons why we can continue to debate. The thing that really surprises me, especially because in the past the Mets have done this, but a lot of teams do this, uh, you know, uh, day three of the draft, we don't do pick by pick, right? So we're not really breaking down, but you, you often see, you know, largely high school guys who may be tougher signs who didn't go in those top 10 rounds because those guys sign and accounts towards your bonus pool. 
you, you take somebody, uh, you, you know, as a, as a kind of a backup plan. Uh, now, keep in mind that you don't sign Kumar Rocker. You, you can't use that $6 million towards anybody else. You lose that money. But the overage you can still use. Meaning they could still go to a certain amount without incurring, you know, the loss of a of a draft pick. So what I'm surprised, you know, they ended up building their entire draft around Kumar Rocker, right? So you know, they everybody else was slot or below slot, you know, because they knew that it was going to take a certain amount to to get him signed. It, typically, you know, even if it hadn't been, you know. Kumar Rocker and there'd been one of their other picks that they wanted to sign below slot where there was a hiccup that, you know, that they didn't take anybody on day three where they could then try to shuffle that money. And, you know, they could have signed one of those players, which, you know, you you can spend up to $125,000 without accounting against your bonus pool. They could have spent up to 1.2, $1.3 million thereabouts on one of those players, but they didn't take anybody like that, which was surprising because like I said, a lot of teams have done that, and the Mets themselves have done that in in years past. You know, over the last couple of years since the bonus pool system has been instituted, so that was a little surprising and maybe a tiny bit short sighted by the Mets. Yeah, and I think Jonathan, you're almost being a little bit kind there. That was that was poor planning. You look at what the Diamondbacks did with Jordan Lawler; they had backup plans in place. You look at what the Yankees did with Brock Selvage; they had backup plans in place. You can't leave yourself open like that. That 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 was not good. And I, I'm going to make a couple more points here. I said I told Jason uh, I had one point. I actually think I have three. I'll try to make them quickly. One, I just want to clarify. I'm not saying that the Mets tried to do anything untoward here to try to undercut Kumar Rocker because clearly they were excited about drafting him, and clearly they saw something that made them say we'd rather have next year's pick than than, than wrap up Kumar Rocker here. So that was. That was point number one. Um, you know, point number two, I was going to make, it left a bad taste in my mouth when you have Mets owner Steve Cohen tweeting a couple, you know, hours after the draft that he knows about making shrewd investments and the draft is a shrewd investment and he wouldn't walk away from a shrewd investment. And I thought that was kind of really tacky <laughs> to pile on in that way. That that that, that was kind of kind of thrown off uh by that. I, I don't, I didn't think that was necessary, but I was going to circle this back to, you know, like the most celebrated uh, instance of not signing a top, top pick recently was Brady Aiken when he failed the physical kind of a similar thing. And he came back, you know, same dispute. He's healthy. He's not healthy. And then he literally blew out his elbow the next time he pitched in a, in a game that counted. But ironically enough is in Scott Boris did not advise Brady Aiken, but Scott, brought up a suggestion back then that I actually think is like what, what stinks about this is the Mets are made whole that they get the number 11 pick next year. Kumar rocker now has this uncertain future. People don't know what's going on with the medically. Does he go back to Vanderbilt? Does he go to independent ball? Where's he going to go? You know, who knows? And, and Kumar rocker is not made whole. He, he's kind of left hanging. Even, even if he'd done the MRI program, he, he wasn't going to take 40% of slot and sign for 1.8 million. So he's like now just, Hey, Kumar, tough luck, kid. You're back in next year's draft. And Boris's, Boris, Scott had a proposal, and this was, again, related to Aiken, that, that I actually think would be fair and that both sides should look to adopt. If you have a situation like this where the team and the player agree on an amount of money and then it falls through because of a physical, Scott's suggestion was, one, the team should get their pick back like they do currently. That's That's fair. But two, if, if they had an underslot deal, because Aiken was underslot, and the team had saved money they were going to use on another player, the team could still save that money and use it on another player. But three, for the player's standpoint, he becomes a free agent and can sign for the amount he agreed to or the slot, whichever's higher. So in this situation, Kumar Rocker could sign a deal with another team for up to $6 million. It wouldn't count against the pool. And if other teams were satisfied with his medical they could do that. And I, and I do think something like that needs to be addressed because the teams have all the power and the team you know, comes out of it like, OK, we get the same pick next year and the player gets left with nothing. And it's just not a very equitable situation. All right. You're listening to the MLB Pipeline podcast. That is a look at what happened at the 2021 
draft signing deadline. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to uh, shift our attention to the 2022 draft. We're going to talk about some of the top performers from the PDP League. That's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. Uh, We talked 2021 draft signing deadline. Now we're going to talk about the 2022 draft a little bit. We're going to look at some of the top performers from the PDP League, uh, which uh, hosted 96 of the top prep prospects from the 2022 class in Cary, North Carolina. Um, That list, not surprisingly, is led by the number one prospect, I think, at this point, when, uh, Jonathan, you did your uh, initial top 20 draft prospects for the 2022 class in mock form. Uh, Elijah Green was number one on that list. He's number one on this list, which was put together by Sam Dykstra, uh, who uh, was at the PDP League uh, a bit and saw Elijah perform there. Got started in the PDP League by blasting a 430-foot home run. Uh, Also stole a couple of bases. Uh, As Sam notes, he was pitched around quite a bit during the week. Had six walks, a 474 on base percentage. So a a good showing by Elijah Green. Yeah, I mean, he is the most exciting prospect, you know, at least as far as we we know uh, thus far for, for the 2022 class and there's some question marks you know when i was putting together the the sort of mock top 20 and he still was number one and there's some swing and miss concerns you know and the fact that he was pitched around sure which was great he drew a ton of walks but he also went three for 13 um but the the combination of power and speed um you know jason you and i saw his batting practice uh, at the high school uh all-American game in, in, in Denver over the all-star break. Uh, it's, it's a nice, it's a smooth swing. You know, there's bat speed, uh, there's loft. I mean, there's all the things you want. Uh, you know, so he has that exciting tool set and continues to show it off, you know, and, and, you know, should be noted that, uh, when you're the number one guy, that spotlight's really, really bright, even even over the summer. So everyone is watching everything you do. Uh, so I want to soften a little bit, you know, any critique about the the swing and miss. But that is something that people will continue to look at this summer and going into uh, the spring at IMG Academy as as the guy who right now seems to be the the front runner to be the the top of you know our, our draft list come uh, come December. You know, a lot of these guys, Jonathan, that's the Sam mentioned in his story, were guys we got to see in Denver at that high school All-America game. And you know, the, the guys who kind of jumped out to me just looking at his list were guys who weren't in Denver. You know, Dominic Hellman, who's an infielder from Washington, big six foot six, right-handed power hitter, went five for 12 with a homer and a triple. He, he was impressive. Um, you know, there's a kid from uh, North Carolina, Ryan Clifford, uh, who was not in Denver, you know, he played well in the championship game. He has good left-handed power. And there's a, a two-way guy from Illinois, Owen Murphy, who went four for nine with a homer at the plate and, and threw in the low 90s with a pretty good curveball and changeup and a lot of polish on the mound. So that was – it was kind of interesting. Like, not that I've, I've grown uh, tired of hearing about, you know, Elijah Green or Jason Jones or Noah Schultz or whoever, but, but it, was, it, was, it was interesting to me to see what new names popped up that we didn't get to see in Denver. And that entire top 10 list is on MLB.com slash pipeline. You can find that there. Uh, Again, that was put together by Sam Dykstra. All right, let's wrap up in the mailbag. We have a question from Michael Bradley, who says, excluding Adley, that would be Rutschman, 
Where would you rank Henry Davis among other catching prospects? And nicely timed, Michael, because as we're recording this podcast, Henry Davis has made his professional debut and has doubled and homered. So, Jim, Jonathan, I guess you're moving him up the list based on that. Yes, I've already moved him up and answering this question based on today. But uh, so I'll go first. Uh, you know, it, it is interesting. I also love the fact that Adley is just like a first name now, you know, like Madonna. Um, but yeah, Adley Rushman stands apart. And then after that, I think you can sort of have a conversation. Looking at our list, our, our top 10 catching list after Adley Rushman is Joey Bart of the Giants, Luis Campusano of the Padres, and Francisco Alvarez of the Mets are the top four. And Caber Ruiz, who we talked a lot about now with the Nationals, is number five. I think, and this is just gut feel, that I probably put him at number three behind Joey Bart, um, mostly because of the the less than shorty about Davis's defense. The arm is there. Uh, He wants to be a good receiver, but it's not quite as good. Not everyone was convinced he could catch. Um, So it's mostly the bat that you're talking about. So I think... I would put him at number three. That would put him in between Joey Bart and Luis Campusano. Jim? Well, I think we're going to rearrange this order, too, because I I would put Francisco Alvarez over Henry Davis. So I might put him number four. Four. Francisco Alvarez might be number two. I might go Rutschman, Alvarez, Bart, Henry Davis. You know what? That's fair. Um, I wasn't thinking about the re-rank. I was yeah, just looking it, it, at the list. And we, I guess we should plug. <laughs> the, the re-rank is coming in a couple of weeks. We, we, we are getting to the re-rank in this crazy new calendar we're getting used to. But um, I think those guys are all going to rank pretty close together. Like I, I would probably put him ahead of Camposano and Ruiz, but I would think all six of those guys might wind up in the top 50 when all is said and done. And I would put him ahead of – Tyler Soderstrom, who's number 10 on our catching list right now, Jonathan. But I actually think he kind of, like, Tyler Soderstrom has a similar profile without the, the cannon arm. Tyler Soderstrom might put, jump the, 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 the rest of the guys in the 6 to 10 range. Yeah. Be, I guess that would make him like number 7. But it's, it's an interesting group of catchers. All right, again, the those midseason, uh, kind of a stretch going midseason. Updated list will be coming out in a couple of weeks. Stay tuned for that. Thanks to Michael Bradley for that question. Thanks to everybody for listening. That's going to be a wrap for this week's MLB Pipeline podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks again, everybody. See you next week.